This is Joshua Bell with the Kilt and the Cloth. This was my sermon from Easter Sunday, and I also included the bell choir. I hope you enjoy. God bless. My scripture this morning is taken from John chapter 20, verses 1 through 18. If you'd like to follow along as I read aloud, it is found in your pew Bibles in the New Testament section on page 109. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, which we never get his name, the one whom Jesus loved, is all John tells us, and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out, with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb, and both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stopping to look in, he saw that the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb, and he saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw, and he believed. Whereas they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had laid, one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? And supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if, if you have carried him away, just tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. May God bless the reading of God's holy scripture. Amen. So we come to this place... And we ask ourselves, how do we arrive at what we call an Easter faith? There's this idea of doors, right? Everybody thinks about it. When you talk about church, there's always the doors, right? There's the door that we physically walk in through. And then there's the door that we walk in through that's spiritually. So we find ourselves asking, through what doors do we enter the church? You see, John seems to understand that this that there's more than one door that exists. For example, in this story, we're offered two possible responses to the resurrection of Jesus. 
One, in verses 1 through 10, the unflinching belief by physically seeing an empty tomb. And kind of a more mystical way, in verses 11 through 18, hearing our name called. In the first story, Peter and the other guy, which, by the way, is interesting because in the Gospel of John, he only mentions the other guy. He doesn't talk about it. He says, the one to whom Jesus loved. Now, my favorite part about this is, is that we don't know who this is. The church will tell you, well, it's James or John, but we don't know. We don't know who this other disciple is. All we know is, is that he can outrun Peter. And not even that, but he goes and he sees the tomb and all of a sudden he is automatically in a belief system. And yet, Peter, again, who we love and adore, walks in, sees the tomb, sees the dead stuff, goes, okay, yeah, it's fine. And he walks away. That's all that happens in the Gospel of John. Peter doesn't even get to have any more of the story. Peter didn't get it again. Now the other part of this as Mary Magdalene weeping before the empty tomb, even, even the appearance of angels doesn't set her faith to singing. It's as if she has seen angels before. She expects to see angels in the place of Jesus' resting place. That doesn't even affect her. That is until she hears her name called out in the familiar sounds that she identifies in that moment, as Jesus. So you could either see it and believe, or you could hear it and believe. So let's break this down just a little bit. In the resurrection story, when you take the gospel lessons, is weird. I, I, I'm just going to keep it simple and say it's weird. None of them can agree with who is at the tomb. Some say Mary Magdalene, and some say Mary, and Mary, and Mary, and Mary, all there. Some say it was Peter, James, and John. Some say that it was just two disciples. All they know is, is that they come to the tomb and it's empty. So what John does, because John is written much later than Matthew, Mark, and Luke, is it's not a homogeny as much as it's a collaboration between all of the, the narratives of Jesus' death and resurrection in a way that says, this is what we believe. I want you to hear that. Do we believe in angels? Becomes a hard question. Do we believe that there was an actual physical empty tomb? Do we actually believe that Jesus physically died and then rose from the grave? You see, these questions are important. And what John does, the graciousness of John, is it creates an understanding of what it is that we say and profess of what we believe. While Matthew, Mark, and Luke tell the story, John is the profession of our faith. It's kind of an awesome experience. Now I want to break this down a little bit more. We want to think about how it is that we came to believe in the risen Christ. This is a hard question. This is the one line, right? Most people could come to the church and hear the, and walk through those physical doors. It's that when you start talking spiritually that we lose them. That Jesus himself physically rose from the grave. All of a sudden they're like, yeah, I don't know. Man. That's kind of crazy. 
It's, it's like you're saying Jesus is a zombie. That's, that's weird. He, he raises himself from the grave. It's hard for us to come to that understanding. A lot of us are like the other disciple, that we have to see it. Now, not all of us are from Missouri. And for you young people that don't know it yet, because I don't know if we talk about it anymore, Missouri is known as the show me state. So anytime that you go to Missouri, they say show me. They mean it. They don't want, they don't want any stories. They want the proof, the facts, and everything about it right in front of their face. So here you have this other disciple that comes to the tomb and physically sees that it's empty. And he believes instantaneously. And then they go back home. A lot of us do that. Some of us come to church. Some of us come to church on Easter and we see all of the magnanimous things that happen, you know, with all the decorations and all the flowers and extra music and baptisms. And it's in that moment that we literally feel the presence of God. And we recognize that in that moment, that presence of God is what we believe in. And that presence of God in the risen aspect of Jesus gives us an understanding of, that gives us hope. That's what Jesus offers what the world does. Hope. So some of us, we have to see it. We have to be in worship physically or even online to feel the presence of God. And then there's that second door that people come to, the understanding of faith. Now, a lot of you know that I've spent the majority of my adult life studying hymns and the study of worship for multiple faith traditions. And there's a, a similarity between every single faith tradition, the understanding of hymns. Everyone sings them. Don't let them be fool you. Some people believe that in, in the moment of hearing a hymn, they're literally transported to someplace else. And just so that everybody can take a deep breath, I'm not just talking about the oldie goldies, right? I'm talking, you could say contemporary Christian hymns for that matter. It's not the point. It's the point of which they're written, right? The fascinating thing for me as uh, I've studied hymnody for the majority of my adult life is, is that you find that you talk to people, they say, well, we just like those old golden hymns. And you're like, oh, cool. Which ones are they? Well, it's these. And you go, I've never heard those before. Oh, yeah, we used to sing them all the time. Really? And then you find out in the midst of the conversation that every single human being has a different set of oldie goldie hymns in their brain. So everyone that's even in this room, the person sitting next to you, they like a different hymn than you do. I'm just telling you right now. And there's something comforting about that. That these hymns, whether they're contemporary Christian songs or, or sacred songs, it doesn't matter what, when they were written. It's about the words that are on the page or in some cases on the screen. They speak something of their faith, but it's that melody. Here's the part that is going to get deep, so you better strap up because it's going to get deep quick. You see, part of the thing that's beautiful about hymns is the remembrance of that melody. You, can, you, you don't even have to hear or see the words, but you hear the common 
theme, the cadence of the song, and you physically are transported to the place that you first heard it, or where that song meant something to you. And you're transported through a door of remembrance. Why do you think it's so hard when we sing a hymn at a funeral service and that person that lost their loved one comes to church and we happen to be singing that hymn and it moves them so much and it rocks their world so much that they have to leave because they're afraid that the tears will take over. That's a presence of God. That's a place where you hear the words of God. And you've experienced the presence of God. You see, that's different than just physically seeing. There's another aspect to hearing that I find fascinating in this passage of Scripture. It's that, it's that moment when Mary is standing outside the tomb and she's weeping. And, and you know how this goes, right? When, when, you, when you lose someone very dear to your heart, we always say the wrong thing. It's just, just in, it's in, inevitable. Because there's not a right thing to say when we've lost somebody that's very dear to us. So we do what we normally do. We, we, try, to, we try to placate that midst of that moment. And, and we say things to help people in the moment. But Jesus doesn't do that here. He, he comes to her and he says, why are you weeping? What, what's going on? And she doesn't look up. That's the part I wanted you to get from the story. She's continuing to weep, and she doesn't recognize him through her tears. And as soon as he says her name, Mary, you, you can almost feel the peace wash over her. You all know what I'm talking about. You might not think you do, but you do. Where I connect to this the most is, is, is from my ancestors. Those that have gone on before me, that they, they've been gone, they've, they've passed away, and yet every once in a while, in the midst of nothing, I can hear their voice, and I am transported to a place of the presence of God. <laughs> I told the 815 group I, I would have to do it here too, because most likely my dad's going to watch this. I hear every once in a while, I hear the, my grandparents who are a very strong, important guiding point of my life that have led me to ordination, that led me to ministry, that led me to the education. But the, the voice that I remember the most often, uh, especially when I'm in trouble, is my Grandma Bell. Uh, Paula Bell uh, was a force to be reckoned with. I'll just tell you that right now. And she would come into the room and she would say, Joshua, and that meant only two things. One, I'm in trouble because I broke something because that's most likely what happened because, well, let's face it, three bellboys in one place, something's getting broke. And I would hear her tone of voice or the other one was as I was late for supper, which meant I needed to hurry up and get upstairs. But I still hear her voice. And she's been dead some six years now, but I still can hear her voice. I can still sometimes hear my grandpa's voice, my dad's father, in the ways that my dad speaks to my own children. I can hear my grandma's voice as she's talking to my kids about her love of trains. I especially hear my grandfather Curtis's voice 
when I preach. And I have to watch myself because every once in a while I find myself getting ready to pound the pulpit. <laughs> and I hear the voice of my grandfather. And I'm transported to a different place. So it makes sense that Jesus speaks to her in a voice that she would recognize. Because even in the midst of our own pain and trauma, sometimes just that loving voice is more than anything that we can do. So we have to think about which person in this story do we most identify with? For some of you, you might be the unnamed disciple. Let's be honest about this, folks. You are the unnamed disciple. You are what Jesus had wanted. You, every single one of you here and online, have the ability to be the presence of God through Jesus Christ by your physical and your mental actions. And you might not even know it, but you also could be angels. Some of you are looking at me like, Josh, there's no way that I could be an angel. You know me. You know that if I, if I was an angel, my halo fell off a long time ago. But the truth of the matter is, is that you truly are an angel to someone, and you just don't even know it. Somewhere, somehow, during the, your life, you were the voice of God to someone when they were in pain. Somehow, someway, you were the voice of reason and love and compassion, and your love with them was so bright they don't remember your face. They just remember that hole that you pulled them out of. You're the unnamed disciple in the sense that you run to your faith. You find ways to serve God in the name of Jesus Christ. And you do it. Some of us are Mary Magdalene. It's not that we're sitting outside the tomb thinking that Jesus didn't raise from the dead. It's just that we take it really serious. And there's this moment where we're weeping in the loss of our loved ones. There's nothing wrong with that, you see. Mary Magdalene's story isn't a critique. It's just a, an analysis of who we are. Now, while we have this moment, there are, and there has to be, fresh possibilities as to what Jesus' death on the cross means. For over 2,000 years at this point, People have been professing in one way or another a Jesus that is a Savior. Now, it's extremely important that you hear the most important part of this story. And I think I forgot to say it at the 815. Jesus came for all of humankind. If you need the proof, you look at where Jesus hung out with. He didn't hang out with the perfect people. He hung out with the people that society considered were sinners. If you need proof, look at Zacchaeus. Why is Zacchaeus picked on so much? Other than the fact he's a little guy, which I take extreme umbrage with. <laughs> Why is it that he's picked on? He's a tax collector. Nobody likes them. They still don't. <laughs> and yet he goes to Zacchaeus' house to eat a meal with him. Why? 
because he is a child of God. And yeah, I'm going to get rammed. Every human being that draws breath is a child of God, whether you like it or not. And therefore, as a child of God, something that God has deemed beautiful. And they don't think the same way you do. They don't like the same hymns you do. And somehow, some way, God has found love for that human being, and so should you. The time of judgment is over. God gave us His Son so that our sins were forgiven. Oh, there it comes. That means our sins are forgiven. So why are you worried about everybody else? Why do we spend so much time figuring out why they're different or less than us when they are taking the same breath that God gave to you in the first place? How dare we do that? If we believe that Jesus physically died and rose from the grave and you all come to that in different places and different walks of life, then that's what's supposed to be focused in on. Not how we're different, but because we are believers in Jesus, we are similar. That's what God wants. Otherwise, Jesus' whole ministry was worthless. Think about it. What's the point? If another disciple goes and doesn't even physically see his body, just sees the empty tomb and believes. Here's your proof. <laughs> There's multiple ways. In this experience, there's two stories that take place around the story of Jesus and his resurrection. In ours, there's billions of stories about the resurrection. But you have been challenged by his death and his resurrection to walk in his footsteps. And that means, folks, you have to love your neighbor as well as your enemies. You have, to, you have to love the people who have difference of opinions. You have to love those that have wronged you. And you have to love everyone that draws breath, whether you like it or not. You, as human beings, are not the judge. You're the ambassador of God's love. So, which door are you going to walk through this morning? In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.